just put your laptop in one spot. Even if you don't have a home office, doing it at a kitchen table, doing it you know, in one spot in your dining room, it helps your brain with something called state-dependent recall, which means every time I go to this spot, the sights, sounds, smells, I associate with working. So if you're switching spots every day, it's harder for your brain to get into that space of saying, this is where I work. Welcome to How I Work, a show about the tactics used by the world's most successful people to get so much out of their day. I'm your host, Dr. Amantha Imba. I'm an organizational psychologist, the founder of behavioral science consultancy Inventium, and I'm obsessed with finding ways to optimize my workday. My guest today is Laura May Martin. Laura is the executive productivity advisor at Google. And if that is not one of the coolest jobs in the world, then I don't know what is. So basically, Laura is full-time at Google and works one-on-one with executives in the company, helping them be more productive, and also runs the Productivity at Google program for all staff. So I loved talking with Laura. I personally picked up a lot of new strategies that I've now implemented about all sorts of things from managing my inbox to various daily and weekly planning rituals that she has. There's just so much gold in this interview. I think you will love it. And uh, we also hear about how Laura actually got the job of being executive productivity advisor at Google, which is um, a pretty cool story in itself. So on that note, let's go to Laura to hear about how she works. Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Now, I got to ask, how does one become the executive productivity advisor at Google? Because when I saw your job title, I thought, if I wasn't doing what I'm doing now, that's the job that I want. So how do I get that (laughs) job? (laughs) Yeah. So I started at Google about 10 years ago in a sales role and I was doing sales, but had a project on the side, which we call 20% projects. And it was basically just showing people how to set up their email the way that I had it set up. So I started teaching like an inbox management class. It started with like one person and then it was like five and, you know, it started to get bigger and bigger. And that became my side project, just teaching people how to organize their email. That evolved into more courses on things like time management and effective meetings. And I started working with executives one-on-one doing like coaching for those topics. And so I obviously left my sales role and became this as a full-time from my 20%. That is so cool. Oh, amazing, amazing. I would definitely want to delve into some of these email tips a bit later, but but something I'm curious about, and, and to be honest, how I'm starting a lot of my interviews at the moment, just given that we're right in the middle of all the kind of COVID chaos and, and who knows for how long, and I should probably ask, where where are you located in the world right now? What's like, what's your lockdown situation? Yes. So I am on the East Coast of the U.S. in North Carolina, and I am working from home like everyone else. I have a husband who's working from home, and I have a nine-month-old daughter, and I'm currently operating without childcare. So that is where I stand right now. Oh, my goodness. Okay. All right. We (laughs) will need to delve into that. Um, So, look, I I, want to know what... uh, the biggest changes that you've made to how you work during this time? 
Yes. So especially with, you know, no childcare, I think there's kind of two schools of people. It's people who maybe have more time than usual. They live by themselves or with a roommate. They're not commuting and they're trying to find a different structure given that they're not going into the office. And then we have people who are at home and maybe their kids are also home from school. And so those those look very different. But some of the strategies that I've used, I think, can help both, you know, both groups of people. So for me, obviously, now that I'm operating with my daughter home, the biggest thing for me is that instead of having this full work day where, you know, from roughly nine to roughly five, I'm, I'm working on everything I need to do, I kind of think of myself now as working in sprints. So it's whenever she's napping for a couple hours, I'm working whenever my husband takes over for a couple hours, I'm working when she goes to bed, I'm working. So now I think of my work day as probably like four one to two hour sprints, you know, when I can get the time in versus that large, luxurious day at the office. Yeah. Wow. What does that, like, what does that do to your headspace, do you think? And your productivity levels. I mean, you are a productivity advisor, so I'm expecting that you're normally pretty productive, but having having the sprint mentality, um, and I must say, I can totally relate to that. What What do you find that does to, I guess, your your efficiency, but also your prioritization as well. Yeah. So I think that the way I think of it is I just pretend that my manager, my boss came to me and said, hey, I have this new four to five hour a day project that I need you to take on. And for me, that's childcare. So how, if I had that project assigned to me in irregular times, how would I prioritize going forward? So maybe I would say like, okay, some of these things that are nice to do, but not necessary, you know, those are going to fall off a little bit. Some of these things that I, I like to do, but someone else could do on my team, things like that, you know, I'm delegating a little bit more. So it's, it's kind of just like, if that situation happened to you, you start to rearrange and say like, you know, I, I like to spend a little more time on this, but I don't have that time now. What do I really, really need to do? So I think in the way of prioritizing, it's, it's, you know, focusing on the things you absolutely have to do. But then in the way of getting those things done, I think planning ahead is really the key to operating in these sprints. So it's, you know, not just, hey, I'm going to have an hour and a half starting at nine. That's when I'm going to sit down and start looking through email and decide what to do. You know, that's that's not going to get me very far. So I actually plan the night before I say, you know, during these sprints, what do I need to get done? Absolutely need to get done. What what sprint am I going to get that done based on my, you know, typical energy level then? And what does a successful day look like? You know, tomorrow will be successful if I do this one thing or whatever that is. So um, just planning a little more ahead so that you're not wasting any time deciding what to do when you have those those sprints. And do you have like set questions or a template that you're completing the night before or is it more organic than that? What does that look like? Yeah, that's a good question. So this is something I've used internally, but given all of the work from home and um, changes, I actually posted it to the Google blog. So I can send you a link to that, but I call it the daily plan and I actually do it the night before. So one thing that I do is I add um, three actions that I want to do for the next day. So my top three priorities, that's kind of that, what does the successful day look like? And underneath the first one thing I need to do, it says, 
until this first task is finished, everything else is a distraction. So that's basically like my one thing I need to get done. Then I uh, take a look at hour by hour, which I think is the most important part. So a lot of productivity tips mention this, but planning out what you plan to do hour by hour beforehand makes a huge difference in whether you actually do it. Even just writing down, I plan to work out seven to eight makes you way more likely to do that than to wake up and trust yourself. So I do a rough hour by hour plan. Obviously, I don't always know how long naps are going to last, but um, you know, I do an estimate. And then I also have a little snack size to do. I call it the bottom corner and I say, okay, if I end up having 15 extra minutes, those are all tasks that are 15 minutes or less. So you know, those aren't necessarily my top three, but if I end up having 15 minutes that I didn't know I had, a meeting ends early, a nap goes long, you know, I need to have a list of things I can quickly do. So make that one phone call, um, you know, do that one email that I've been needing to do. So I have that. I have also at the very top, it says something that I'm grateful for. And I think I had that in a planner once that I bought, like, I think in high school or something. And I just thought it was a great way <laughs> to, to kick off, you know, you're starting all these things you need to do, maybe feeling stressed, making this list, but having that at the very top, just something you're grateful for, like maybe that you do have the opportunity to work from home. That's um, always a good perspective. That's cool. I like that process. Do you, so that's the daily process or the evening mm-hmm. process. Do you have any kind of weekly, monthly, quarterly sort of rhythms as well when it comes to planning, prioritizing? What does that look like for you? Yeah. So weekly, I do something similar. I I do a template that basically says, you know, what are my priorities for the week? And then not just what do I need to do, but when do I plan to do it? So if I have, if I say like, you know, I really want to complete that project Where people get stuck in productivity, I think, is just listing everything they want to do, but never assigning the right place for it. So um, I've heard you talk about this in in some of your other other episodes, but finding when that natural rhythm you already know you have. So I know that I, you know, tend to be really high energy on Mondays and I I can get a lot done because I've been rested over the weekend. So already knowing that about myself, I can slot things into that Monday time slot that I know. Fridays, you know, that's a better day to do things like catching up on articles I wanted to read or maybe responding to some lower energy emails, creative meetings, catch ups. So I try to structure my week and days in kind of like that rhythm where I know when I'm going to be most productive and I slot the things I need to do there. That's really interesting because I, I, I do talk and, and write a lot about daily rhythms and people's chronotypes, you know, whether they're a morning or evening person and so forth. But I think the weekly rhythm thing's interesting and I feel like less people sort of talk and think about that. And I wonder for you, wh- when did you start working to a weekly rhythm and how do you, how does one kind of become more self-aware as to what the right weekly rhythm is for them or the most effective weekly rhythm is for them? Yeah. So I think that when I talk to executives about this, I I say the simplest way of thinking of it daily or weekly is what are you in the mood for then? So, you know, if you find yourself and it's just picking maybe one week where you pay attention to already what you have going on. So with one executive, I remember he had like a huge staff meeting every Tuesday for a couple hours with all of his staff. And it was, you know, draining in the sense that there was a lot of information shared. It was very, everybody was mentally focused. And then he found that he kept canceling his Tuesday afternoon meetings. 
So, you know, I said, why don't you this Tuesday, when you get out of that meeting, just ask yourself, what am I in the mood to do right now? And that will show you maybe what you should start slotting at that time. So for me specifically, I found that when I was in sales, I was having lots of ongoing calls with customers that I that were part of my portfolio and things like that. And I found that I really needed Monday to kind of catch up and prepare for all of those calls. And I needed Friday to debrief and follow up from all of those calls. So I just decided that I was only going to do customer calls between Tuesday and Thursday. And I found that giving myself that Monday and Friday buffer whenever possible really helped my Tuesday through Thursday go really well. So that's kind of where it started. And then every time I've had a different role, I've just kind of thought about, you know, what what am I usually in the mood to do Friday mornings? And how can I structure my schedule around that? Mm, I like that. What am I in the mood for? Yes. Interestingly, that sales rhythm that you spoke about, I I feel like I've heard that before. I remember I had Dean Swan who heads up Dropbox here in in APAC and he had a very similar rhythm when he was in a sales role. So yeah, that (laughs) makes a lot of sense. I want to come back to working from home productively. Like were you working from home much before the pandemic hit? Yeah, I do some work from home. So I do a lot of travel and I do have an office that I go into, but I kind of did a mix. So I did have some experience working from home, which I feel like has benefited me kind of adapting to this new situation and providing helpful tips that I've learned over that time to help others work from home. Yeah. So with working from home, I I was probably in a similar kind of situation to you where I would travel a lot, probably once a week or once a fortnight, and then I would work from home a couple of days a week and then be in the office one or two days a week. So I like, so at the beginning I thought, well, I'm, I'm, you know, working from home fit. I know what this is all about, but there's a big difference from like working at home a few times a week to every single day and not having a choice in the matter at all. Personally, I'm loving it and my introverted self is thriving. But I I imagine and I know of a lot of people who are like, no, this is very different. I thought I knew how to work from home, but this is really hard. And I'm wondering, like, are there changes that you've made to your working day now that you're working from home literally every day? And even changes that you've perhaps advised others at Google to make as well? Yeah, I think like you said, a lot of people thought, you know, maybe this will last a a couple weeks and they just kind of like pulled up their computer as if it was a Friday that they got to work from home. And then I think people are starting to realize, you know, the longer this goes on, I really need to find that sweet spot of how I become productive from home. So I think, you know, one of the biggest things I talk about is just setting the boundaries for this. So mental and physical, and I did do this, but I think now that it's a permanent change, I've done it even more. So one interesting thing that I always think about is that my dad actually has worked from home my entire life. So it's kind of rare, but we always had him home. And we always noticed that he would go into his office to work and then he would come out and he'd be done. So we knew we were never allowed to bother him when he was in in his office. And he told me that was originally because he had ethernet and a desktop. So he didn't even have a laptop when he first started working from home. So I've kind of advised people to have that balance. Pretend you have an ethernet connection somewhere. Pretend you have a desktop. Just put your laptop in one spot. Even if you don't have a home office, doing it at a kitchen table, doing it, you know, in one spot in your dining room, it helps your brain with something called state dependent recall, which means every time I go to this spot, 
the sights, sounds, smells I associate with working. So if you're switching spots every day, it's harder for your brain to get into that space of saying, this is where I work. And now that it's a longer term thing, I think that can really help people. If they're normally just pulling up their laptop on the couch, then here, then here, you know, it, it makes their brain start over every day. And another piece of that is having the places where you never work. So having the place you always work with obviously the occasional take your laptop outside for a little like you would do at work, but then having places where you never go. And what that does is it helps create mental boundaries because you're inviting work into your home. You do want somewhere like your bedroom or even like your kid's room or the living room where you never have work. So you could even think of it like a guest in your house. If you had a guest who was staying for a really long time, you wouldn't say like, hey, just come into my bedroom anytime you want. Like, no, you would give them a separate space. You know, you would have boundaries. You would say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this alone. And then I'll see you when I'm ready to see you. So, um, you know, setting boundaries, I think, is the biggest one for this long term situation. Yeah, that's great. And I'm also curious around the topic of setting boundaries what you do for the top and tail end of the day? Because I feel like people can struggle. I know I can struggle with that. It's so easy to just roll out of bed and open up your laptop and start work. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it's quite easy at the end of the day to kind of finish what you're doing and then have some dinner and the laptop's still open and just kind of, you know, shuffle on back and maybe try to get to inbox zero, which rarely happens anyway. So um, <laughs> what do, like, do, do you kind of, kind of have like morning and evening rituals, obviously with a nine month old, I mean, yeah, goodness, like there are, <laughs> there are all these rituals that go with that. Um, but what, what does that look like for you? Yeah, I think to your question, that's definitely more of the, you know, maybe you're not operating with childcare and you have more time to work than, than normal if you're not commuting and things like that. So in that situation, I think you, instead of sprints, you want to think of your day as, as a marathon. So you don't want to start early and burn yourself out by the middle of the day. And you don't want to end late because you're going to have a really hard time starting the next day. So I think that one thing that I, I've talked to one executive and she was telling me how she loved reading on her commute. And, you know, she was in California and I was saying, oh, I've been getting emails from you early. I feel like that you're starting earlier, you know, like I'm seeing emails come in earlier. And she's like, yeah, I'm not reading as much because I used to read on the train. And um, I, I advised her, maybe you could wake up, you know, put your phone aside, pretend you're getting on the train for the exact amount of time as your commute was, read, and then, you know, start whatever you would have done when you got to work. And, you know, ever since she's been doing that, I just talked to her recently and she said that it's helped so much because it's basically like more similar to her routine that she already had. So I do things like I don't look at my phone until the time when I would have gone to work. So I wake up and I, you know, I spend time with my daughter, I eat breakfast, and then I grab my computer. So a lot of people are just pulling their computer up the minute they wake up or something like that. And it's it's harder to start that day. And then at the end of the night, I think, you know, some people, especially people without childcare, that's the time when you're getting things done. But similar to the Ethernet example, if you can say, you know, I'm not going to watch TV and work, if I want to watch TV, I'm going to basically leave my laptop in this location and go watch it. It, it creates that start stop to make you, you know, blend the activities less. 
That's very helpful. And yeah, I like the distinction that you make around the sprint versus a marathon, depending on whether you're now a uh, a, a homeschooler or parent or um, someone that, you know, has, has a different sense of time. I do want to ask more about parenting. I feel like people ask me a lot of questions about this and I feel like I don't really have much in the way of good answers. And so I've got a six-year-old at home who's in year one and, you know, and I do have a bit of help, but it is, wow, it's so different. So what have, um, like aside from working in sprints, what have been the most effective strategies that you've used to help balance that? Yeah. So that's more of like a hacks question kind of. And I think one thing I've been doing is like, um, when I know I can take something over a phone call versus video chat, I do it on a walk. So I, she's very happy in the stroller. And I say like, okay, well, I'm going to do a walk every day from 11 to 12, 1230. And then I start scheduling calls in there because, you know, that's something I can do. And I know she's going to be content. So I've been doing that. Um, another thing is my husband and I have tried to do alternating no meeting days. So I tried to wherever possible and not always possible, but try to schedule all of my meetings on Monday and Wednesday. And he's trying to do Tuesday and Thursday. And that way, you know, even if even if there are a couple here and there that don't align with that in general, you know, he's the the one in charge on Monday and Wednesday. And in general, I'm the one in charge on Tuesday, Thursday. So um, it just helps instead of like every hour switching off, you know, I have a meeting, now you have a meeting, now I have a meeting. It just, you know, he knows the whole day today, he's in charge of breakfast, lunch, dinner, that kind of thing. So um, I know people are doing that for morning and, and evening. If you maybe work with a different time zone, you could do things like that. But that's been really helpful so that it's not just a guess every single day of how the day is going to go. Well, I like that strategy. The yeah, the um, how, you, how you're scheduling meetings on on different days. That's a that's a cool one. What what is your approach to meetings? Do you like how do you think about productivity within the context of a meeting? Because often that can be people's biggest productivity killer. I think I read once that the average executive spends 23 hours a week in meetings, and I like I would hate to think about the the number of hours that people are in meetings now that they can't see everyone every day. Yes, I think so too. And I normally, I had this friend, um, or I guess he was a coworker, and I left his team and he stopped me in the hall about a year later and said, oh, I've really been wanting to catch up with you. I was going to add time to your calendar, but I knew you would decline it unless I had an agenda written out. So I haven't done it yet. <laughs> so that made me laugh because I've definitely built a reputation for myself. Like I say, no agenda, no attenda. Like I want to know exactly what's going to be talked about. Um, you know, how it's going to go, how long. My default is 15 minutes for meetings. I know a lot of people start at 30, but I would rather start at 15. And then you don't kind of like the, you know, hot air balloon effect where you're filling the time because it's already scheduled. So I'm definitely diligent about meetings. But one tip that I've been giving since all of this started is that it's okay in this situation to be a little more relaxed about that. So I think that, you know, we have this natural like water cooler run in, you know, chatting at our desk, kind of back and forth that's going on in the office. And so being at home, especially for people who may be by themselves this whole time, you know, that can be 
isolating without some of that chit chat, lunches, things like that. So a lot of meetings that maybe I would have said no to before all this, I'm I'm keeping on the calendar. So just check-ins, just you know, chatting with people. My team has a informal weekly meeting, so we don't talk about anything work-related. And each week we have a different agenda item, which is, you know, one last week was share your favorite recipe. Um, this week is a TV show that you're watching that you really enjoyed. Next week is a hobby that you've started. And then we're going to show the progress of the hobby over, over the coming weeks. So, you know, we're finding ways to connect and meet, but they don't have to be as rigid as, you know, maybe the, the in the office schedule that you're normally following. Yeah, that's um that's really interesting. I must say I've I found the the same thing. Um, I I want to come back to the fifteen minute default, and just on a practical note, because I imagine you use Google Calendar as we do at Inventium. Is there a default setting that that you can use in um in GCal to to make the default length fifteen minutes? Yeah. So if you're in Google Calendar and you go to your settings, there is a section called event settings and you can drop down on default duration and change it to what your default is. So when you create a meeting, it will start at that time and then you can extend it. So I've seen executives who have an hour as their default and you know that it's harder to change and you might say like, oh, uh, I don't really need an hour, but it's already on there. So, you know, we'll find something to talk about. And that ends up being valuable time. So when I work with executives, I do what's called a meeting diet, um, where I say, you know, you don't have to give up all meetings. You just want to take them in moderation and, and think smartly about them. And so when they say, like, I have five hour meetings, I say, if you shorten those to 45 minutes, you just gained another hour and 15 minutes of your week back. So I think, you know, having the default be 15 or 45 can really help you gain some of that time back that ends up being like dead space in meetings. That's awesome. I've literally just changed it now when oh, you good. were describing it. <laughs> there you go. That's yes. There you go. I was uh, I was on the speedy meeting setting, which I like, which um, which defaults everything to 25 or 50 minutes for those that are not aware of that setting, um, which I do quite like but yeah 15 minutes that that's that's great that I can I can do that fantastic I want to know about email because you mentioned when you were doing this as a 20% project and I love that your role came out of a 20% project um that that sounds very google and so email was the first thing that you were helping people with and I and I imagine you've you probably developed your email management strategies a lot what are what are the most important things people need to be thinking about with email and perhaps other than batching, but I would like to know actually what your view is about batching, how that works and maybe how that works in your own life as well. Yeah. So I do, I do promote batching and the way that I explain this when I'm coaching or, or leading my courses, I say, totally forget about email and think about your laundry because that's something that everyone does or knows how to do. And so if you pretend that your dryer is your inbox and you imagine how a lot of people are doing email right now. They go in, they grab one shirt, they fold it, and they walk it all the way up to their dresser, and then they walk all the way back down. And then maybe they find a pair of pants, and it's still wet, and they think, oh, I'll just throw it back in there with all of my dry clothes. 
you know, maybe that's Mark is unread because you don't want to deal with it right now. Um, you know, you find one sock, but you don't know where the other sock is, but you put it away anyway, knowing you're going to have to go back. So, and then, you know, by the end of it, you're like, you know, I just, I'm just going to start the dryer all over and look at it again tomorrow. And it's like, how stressful would that be for doing laundry? Because a lot of people are doing their email like that. They're picking and choosing. So with your laundry, you're saying, okay, it's my time to empty the dryer. Even if I can't finish all this out, I'm emptying everything and then I'm putting it in piles. These are things I need to fold. These are things I need to hang. These are socks I need to match. Then you're fold, 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 folding five things in a row and walking them all upstairs. So even if that's where you have to leave it, and you have to come back to hang, 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 and take everything to your closet, you're still in such a better mental place because you know the dryer is empty. So, you know, if if you're thinking about your inbox, a lot of people never empty their inbox in the sense that not that they've replied to everything, but that they've addressed the next action for everything. So in, in your terms, batched it. And it's like if you walk, walked by your dryer every single day and the door was open and you just kept seeing your clothes in there, you would constantly feel stressed like, oh, I have so many clothes I need to get to versus, oh, I have you know five things I know need to be folded. I know exactly what's in there. So I do recommend the inbox zero mentality, meaning that you sort all of your emails as a separate activity, get to zero and then read emails, answer emails, all as separate activities versus, you know, doing them all mixed together, which is where people lose a lot of energy and touch the same email, you know, four to five times. So can we get into the minutiae of some of that? I love that image of comparing it to the clothes dryer. I've never heard that before. That's so, that's so powerful. I reckon that's, that's going to stick with me. How then, like when you're in the inbox, are you doing more of the like the micro activities in terms of sorting? What are the categories? What are the functionality that you're using? Like, what does that look like? So I use Gmail, obviously, and I use what's called multiple inbox, which is under the inbox tab in Gmail. So the way I think of it is there's really only three actions that can go with an email. And that is one, it's something you need to do, meaning you plus time would complete that activity. So a lot of people muddy up to do with things that they, you know, they can do once they hear from so-and-so, you know, that's not what I put in to do. It's if I sat down tonight, I'm going to clear out my to do. So I have to do waiting which is things that I need to follow up on, but are not directly my action, and then things I need to read. And so multiple inboxes, basically, it's called multiple inboxes, but it's really multiple views or multiple windows. So I base, I have my left side, which is my dryer, everything comes into that. And then I use the right side inboxes of multiple inboxes. And I say, in my first section, show me anything I've labeled to do. In my next section, show me anything I've labeled waiting and read through. So essentially multiple inboxes lets you peek into a certain folder or label without having to open it. So it creates more of a dashboard where I can see incoming emails and I can see things that I've addressed into my piles. Right. And so then on a daily basis, and I assume, are you checking email at least once a day? Yes. So I know a lot of people say, and this, if you ask me my two rules on email, it would be one, treat it like laundry and two, 
close it one to two times a day. So I don't recommend, you know, only look at your email once because a lot of people's jobs, the way we communicate now, that's just not realistic. You know, you're going to miss something that is for the next meeting or something like that. So I really say like it can be open, but you really should close it if you've set time to work. So I check my email, you know, throughout the day, but the structure of how I'm the workflow, I guess, is what you're asking. It's basically I open my inbox in the morning, I get to zero. So I go through each email in in chronological order without popping back to the main inbox. So I use something called auto advance, it forces me to go to the next email versus um, going back to the dryer and picking out whatever I want that looks shiny. It's like, no, I'm going to the next thing I got. And I either archive the email or I put it in a folder. So in Gmail, um, you can archive without putting it in a label. So I either delete or archive, or I put it in one of those three buckets. So I go through, get to inbox zero doing that. And then I match my email based on my energy. So if I then have two hours of uninterrupted time, I know that I really can dive into some of those to-dos. And so I, I open that folder only. I don't look at the rest of my inbox. I just turn to the clothes I need to fold. And I you know go through each one of them and fold, fold, fold. But then everyone knows how you have that afternoon time where, you know, especially with if you're one of the early morning chronotypes and you have this like 2.30 to, to 3 time where you're not really going to get that much done. You're not going to respond to those big, big emails because you're probably low energy and you only have 30 minutes. So that's when I go through my read folder and say, okay, what are these industry articles I want to read? You know, I can quickly pop through them. So I don't waste that primo morning productivity time reading articles. And then I, at the end of the day, go through my waiting. Every day I scan through that and say, is there anything that I'm waiting on? that I could bump up right now or anything that's coming up with a deadline, I get to inbox zero again before I leave for the day at work or before, you know, I sign off at the end of the night. And then if I do pick up my phone or something, I'm seeing only new emails that have come in and I know they're only the ones that I haven't addressed. So that's kind of my very detailed, I don't know how detailed you wanted it, but (laughs) that's exactly how I do it. (laughs) That was great. That was great. I feel like that's enough detail so that I could completely changed the way that I'm managing my inbox, which I think I shall be doing after this interview. That was incredibly helpful. I, I want to know, I mean, some people would think about email as a digital distraction and and then, you know, there's also obviously social media, which I feel is probably an even bigger distraction now as our news sites with everything going on in the world. And I, I'm curious as to what your approach is to managing those digital distractions. Yeah, I do think that that's I don't want to say downfall, but a lot of times with productivity coaching, that's like a a big stick in the mud that I see that people are saying, oh, this one thing is keeping me from getting things done. So like you said, especially now I've been sharing internally at Google, not necessarily even work related, but I've just been calling them habits that help that are little, you know, things that I've been doing that I feel like are helping during this time, in addition to tips for working from home. And, And one of them that I mentioned right now is just you know, not looking at social media on my phone. So I feel like I'm using my phone more 
to work because I'm, you know, keeping up with a child and things like that. So I kind of wanted my phone to be a safe place where I just can look at work or message friends and family. So, um, you know, if you feel like you're spending a lot of time on news or social media, you know, you could make a simple rule. Like I only look at that when I'm at my computer, which is a little bit harder to do. So the key to distractions is that you want to get out ahead of them. So once, once you get that, you know, pop up about social media, there's basically no way that you're not going to follow it. So you you have to make it almost harder to participate in the distraction than to, sorry, harder to not. So if you are trying to read, so I'm doing this reading challenge and I say like, you actually have to put your phone far enough away where it's annoying to you to have to get up and go get it. And that will keep you from you, you know, looking at your phone while you're reading. So things like chat pop-ups, you know, news pop-ups, you can't just expect that when they come, you're not going to look at them. You actually have to say, you know, before that happens, I'm just going to turn them off and, and see how much mentally more focused I feel. That's great. I like, it reminds me, um, I've had Jake Knapp and John Zeratsky on the podcast, who are obviously both ex-Googlers and they like in their book Make Time, they talk about creating a distraction free phone where they're essentially saying delete all apps that have uh in in infinity pull or you know, infinity scrolling where the scrolling never ends. Like what does what does your phone look like? Because I imagine it's it's probably a balance between that, but also the reality of having a nine month old is that you can actually get work done on the phone when they're like, you know, sleeping in their carrier mm-hmm. on your chest and that kind yes. of thing. So what, like, what is your phone? What does your phone look like? Yeah. So one thing I do is I do have notifications, but I make them really specific. So in, you know, in an Android phone, you can say within Gmail only met only pop up if it's from this certain group of people or if it has a certain label. So, you know, I do that so that I'm getting notifications for important things on my phone for work but I'm not getting every single email that's sent because I don't need to go to those emails, you know, right away. And then I do have, you know, some apps like photos and things like that, but I don't have social media apps on my phone. So I I do look at social media on the computer and that's pretty much it. And one thing that, that helped me come to that is just looking at, which many phones have now is my, you know, settings for how long I was spending in each of those apps. And when I was trying to do my reading challenge and find like an extra hour a day for reading, and I realized I was spending about that on social media, it helped me stay like, you know, even just a few minutes here, a few minutes here, a few minutes here really adds up and pulls you away from your, you know, mental space. So I think that that's kind of what convinced me to remove that. So I have notifications in moderation, I would say. Mm, that's a, that's an interesting approach. Uh, instead of just going blanket no notifications, uh, that's very interesting. I want to know in terms of apps that you find helpful for productivity or staying focused or time management. Those general areas. Are there any favorite apps that that you have for for the phone or for the computer that you find really help you during the day? So I would say that. 
The number one app that increases my productivity, especially right now, is Google Keep. And the reason is, is because of the idea of what's called capture in productivity. So when I talk to executives and I say, you know, when do you come up with your best ideas? They never say when I'm sitting at my desk. They never say when I'm looking at my computer. They never say, you know, in a meeting. They say, in the shower or in my commute, or, you know, when I don't have anything, I'm just on a walk, something like that. So the point is when you're kind of like walking around and maybe it's for me, I'm with a stroller or I'm cooking or something like that. That's actually when a lot of my ideas come to me or things that I want to do or things that I want to remember. And so a lot of productivity is how do you get those down and action them. So everyone has those ideas when they have that clear mental space. But I think the difference between quote, a productive person and unproductive is who does a good job of getting those down. So Google Keep has a feature where you can just say, okay, Google, if you're using like a a Google Home device or um, an Android phone, you can say, add this to my grocery list, add this to my to-do list. You can take an audio note of yourself talking. So if you don't have the ability to type out what you want to say, but it's a really good idea, you just speak to the app and it both takes the text out of what you're saying and also includes um, an actual snippet of the recording. So it's almost like a post-it note program. So you have your notes, you can categorize them. So that's that's how I work. And that's probably the number one app I use on my phone is just any idea I have, whether it's grocery list, something to do, something to say um, in my next meeting, whatever that is, I capture it down. And are there any other apps that you find useful in helping with productivity or time management or anything like that in general? So I don't think this is an app, but a lot of phones have the innate ability now to track what you're doing with your time. So I do think there are apps out there that do that, but I think um, a lot of platforms have integrated that as part of digital well-being efforts. So I think just like I said about the social media, looking at you know, actually taking into account that data on a weekly basis and say, what is it that I'm spending a lot of time on? Um, what is it that I could be doing with that time? If I'm complaining about not having enough time, you know, where is where is that time going? And you can see that in your app. I think my husband even changed his phone so that it's black and white now. So if he goes to open... <laughs> social media or ESPN, it's kind of boring because you can only look at so many white and black photos. So um, I just think it's not an app, but those type of settings to see what you're doing can really change how you're, how you're being productive. Yeah. I love the grayscale trick. I, I do oscillate between having my phone in, in grayscale where everything just looks utterly boring and a little bit hideous uh, to, to going back to color. So I, yeah, I think that's a, that's a really interesting trick. Um, I want to come back to something that you said about meetings and how you, you kind of sort of relaxed things a little bit there just for that social connectedness. And I want to know, I feel like there are so many people struggling with the lack of connectedness with coworkers right now. And I want to know what, what, what are you and other people at Google doing differently during this time to to feel connected? I think a lot of people, I think what I saw first is people, they have that ability or the, they have that need to want to be connecting. So they schedule just like a chat and it's like, you know, a team chat. But 
as we've all seen, you know, working digitally is different. It's a little harder to just have those natural conversations and um, maybe you're talking over someone and it's not, it's not as natural as being in person. So I know that that was like a learning curve when we first started this whole situation. But I think what I've seen really well across Google is people are creating informal chats, but they have some sort of purpose or underlying, you know, reason for dialing into the call. So like I mentioned about my team, even having those silly weekly agendas of bring a recipe, it's still something that, um, you know, we kind of have structure to talk about. Or um, I've seen teams do virtual happy hours where everyone brings their own drink and dials in from five to 5.30 and then you share a cocktail that um, you created or a mocktail or whatever that is. Um, I've seen people do virtual bingo or categories. So I think it's just getting creative and saying, you know, maybe you add an element of the meeting that ha that has a social connection. Maybe you meet a little more often. So some of my biweekly meetings have now gone to weekly since we're not seeing each other in the hallways anymore. So I think it's just getting creative with what makes you feel like when you get off the call the same way you felt at the end of a workday. Like, wow, I really know what's going on with those people or I really got a good idea or um, felt connected. I like the idea of it's it's almost like having an agenda to get connected. Like I like that your team meetings have those themes or activities, so to speak, rather than it just being a kind of loose happy hour, which I imagine that a lot of teams are now doing around the world. Yeah. Are there any other strategies that, that you've been experimenting with or that you're hearing from from other Googlers that, that are working really well to improve that that connectedness? I think I've just been hearing, you know, from a lot of managers and anyone who any really anyone, I think an important thing to remember is not just covering business. So really thinking about the fact that maybe one of your coworkers is at home by themselves. Maybe one of them is at home with their kids. So just thinking about people as people, which, you know, we should be doing all the time in business, but especially right now, just kind of connecting with people where they are. And instead of talking about, you know, whatever the business need is at hand, you can get to that, but maybe saying, you know, how's it been going with your daughter's homeschooling? You know, finding that human connection, checking in with people, seeing how they are, you know, on a week to week basis. I think that that's been something that I've really seen across Google and, and can be, you know, really helpful for those people who feel like they're not, maybe, maybe the work chat is the only social connection that they're getting. So you really want to check in with people and, and see how they're doing. Mm, awesome. Yeah, I like that. And um, and I have one final question for you. Like if if you could, and this is partly motivated by the fact that I feel like there are so many great strategies that you're using and things that I'm personally going to take out of this interview. And I want to know, you know, if you could just hang on to two or three or four of the ways that you manage your time and be productive, like what would those top things be that you just absolutely cannot let go of that have really been quite transformative for you? So the very first one, and I would say the most important one, it's probably going to surprise you and we haven't talked about it, but that would be to meditate. So if I tell people that there's one thing to make them more productive, I jokingly say it's to do nothing for 15 minutes of the day. So, um, you know, that is something that 
I feel like all of these things that we're talking about, you know, not not focusing on distractions, um, really taking the time to dive in your email when you do have the time, all of those things are helped by having that mental sharpness that comes from working out your brain, which is essentially what meditation is. So that would be, you know, if someone stopped me on the street and said, what one thing can I do to be more productive? That's definitely um, what I would tell them. So that would be my first. My second, and that this is obviously more in the non-working from home time, but anytime really, is just to be really diligent about meeting. So anytime you're taking meeting time, thinking, what would I be doing with this time otherwise? And then, you know, making sure that you have a better, you know, that is a better use of your time. So meetings are important and they need to happen, but really thinking about what is the trade-off for what I'm doing instead of this meeting, you know, and making, making it worth your time. The third, I would definitely say is wrangling in email. So, you know, that seems to be, and I guess you could lump that in with other distractions, but I think that it's funny because I work with people on their email and then they come back to me saying like, oh my gosh, I'm so much happier. I'm spending more time with my kids, like things like that. And I'm like, what? It's an email training, but it really is like your email is taking up so much mental space. So if you find a way to know exactly what you have going on in your inbox, whether you've answered it or not, you know, even knowing what you're not doing is as important as knowing what you are doing. It creates that peace to say like, yes, I'll get to that. So I would say wrangling your email as the third. And then I think the fourth thing is just understanding that you do need to make priorities. And that means saying no to really, really good things. So you're saying yes to great things and you're saying no to things that are almost great. So I think when people think prioritize, they think make a list of the 25 things I need to do in order that I want to do them. But really what it comes down to is, you know, make a list of 25 things I should do and narrow it down to five and do those things really, really, really well. Because when you slam your schedule with meetings or to do's and all these actions and actions, you leave little space, what I call white space in your schedule to come up with amazing ideas for one of those top five things. So really figuring out and maybe, you know, one of my tips is that this time is kind of an interesting time to do that. So you have this ability to kind of like pull back. I think of productivity like a rubber band, you know, you have to pull back to really launch forward. So this is for some people a time to pull back and say, you know, what am I working on that could be better? What are new opportunities going to look like for me? So finding those things that are really, really important and then, you know, cutting the rest of them off. Oh, that's awesome. I love those pieces of advice. Uh, well, Laura, if people have listened to this and they're like, how can I connect with this productivity guru? What, like, what is the best way for people to do that and, you know, read some of the things that you're writing about? Yeah, I think LinkedIn's probably the best place. So I, I write a lot of articles on the Google blog and things like that. And I always share them on my LinkedIn feed. I also have a series on um, the YouTube channel for G Suite, our our suite of products, which is Gmail, Calendar, Keep. Um, so I do a weekly tip there. So I give a little hack, kind of like the calendar speed uh, default meeting that we just talked about. That's exactly one of my one of mine that's on there. But um, that's on YouTube. You can search for the Sweet Life, and those are tips on how to make the products better. So those two places. 
Fantastic. I will link to those things in the show notes. Laura, thank you so much for your for your precious time. And uh, yeah, I've just, I've learned so much and I'm so going to experiment with some of the strategies that we've talked about. So thank you. Great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Hello there. That is it for today's show. If you know someone that you think could benefit from this episode, why not share it with them? Just click on the little share icon uh, in wherever you listen to this podcast and uh, easy, you can share it with them. And if you're enjoying how I work, why not leave a review? I know that you're probably thinking, ah, but I got to get on with my day. Um, But hey, it only takes five or 10 seconds. And I'm just so appreciative of everyone. There's been hundreds of reviews left now and I I just appreciate everyone. So thank you if you have already done that. And if you haven't, um, why not do that? That'd be lovely. So that's it for today's show and I will see you next time.